Palmer's gone and we're a week late, but that's only because Alex needed to finish eating her snack she worked on for nine months. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. <laughs> Hey there, Alex. Hey, hello. Welcome back. Good to be back. Oh my god. Now I don't have to just stare at Palmer's big dumb face because he's gone for the next few weeks. There we go. We're just switching out. We are. You guys are. So. <laughs> I'm tagging him in. Or he's tagging me in, rather. It's like you guys are parents now and you're just taking turns and I'm the baby. <laughs> you have to come over once a week and <laughs> take care of feed you. <laughs> me and change me and burp me. Oh shit, do I only need to feed my baby once a week? I don't know about your baby. Oh, okay. If Damn I'm the it. baby, you might be able to get away with that. I'll leave a salt lick down for you. And like a giant water bottle that looks like the ones that you put in a hamster cage. There we go. Just fill it up with vodka and call okay. it a day. All right. No, because then I want that also. Well, speaking of which, now that you're allowed to drink again, how's that feel? Yeah, so I have uh, a vodka Red Bull here and all is right with the world. Yes, it is. I feel like my old self again. Yes. Kind of. Kind of. You're getting there. You're getting there. You had your first hangover since having the baby. I have. So that's that's a step in the right direction. Uh, we are not doing wine time tonight because, as we mentioned, Palmer's gone for his own family reasons. Um, so instead, Alex has her vodka and I've got my whiskey. There we go. Two peas uh, in, a, in a pod. And it's, it's like we didn't even miss the last nine months. No. It's like nothing happened. I fell something. right back into it. Scared. Like, you know, there was a lot of debate as to how many drinks... I would be able to have post. So Palmer and I were both completely wrong. Okay. Because uh, I just said one. I said one one Alex-sized vodka Red Bull, and right. you were going to be done. Yeah, no. Palmer, I think, gave you enough credit to say two. Um, and then you and I just got absolutely blotto yeah. last weekend. And uh, both woke up hurting, but yeah, I, we made it through the night. I think I had like six shots. Yeah, we, we drank a lot. <laughs> We drank like we were back in college. Oh, the hangover was worse than I remember. Yeah. I don't... Yeah, it kind of sucked. My face looked puffy for three days. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great to have you back. I'm Thank sure everybody's uh, happy to get a female's perspective again on things. Yes, that's right. And uh, Hearing you guys talk about feminism without me really... <laughs> <laughs> two was, guys, two guys talk about my, feminism. <laughs> I was screaming at my, uh, at my car stereo. <laughs> Rightfully so. I don't doubt it. No, I'm sure plenty of our listeners were uh, in the same boat. No, y'all held it down. You guys did such a good job. But uh, happy but speak, to be back. Speaking of feminism, we're going to touch on that a little bit tonight as well. Uh, but we'll get to that part. You ready to jump in and talk about a week and a half, two weeks worth of headlines and movies and I'm, shit? I'm fucking pumped. All right. Let's go. All right, so we got a bunch of shit to make up for not doing an episode last week because, you know, babies and families and parents and stuff. Boo! Everything's (laughs) ruining my life. Uh, So some of this you might already know out there in listener land, but we don't care. We're going to pretend just the same way that I was pretending Alex has been drinking for the last nine months. So kicking it off, we got The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is the upcoming second season of the anthology series that started with The Haunting of Hill House, which I still haven't finished. So you didn't like it. I. It's not that I didn't like it. I watched a episode and okay. 
started watching other stuff. Okay. See, I was... You were a fan of it. I was. This Palmer one, didn't like yeah, it. Yeah, Palmer was not a fan. This is one of the things that I started watching, and I literally, like, binged it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been waiting for the new season for quite a while. Okay. And so there's... If I remember correctly, it's a, the same actors, but completely different story, right? Yes. Okay. I believe so. So... This one is set to adapt Henry James's psychological gothic horror novella, The Turn of the Screw, which I have never heard of. No. Uh, this tells the story of a governess who moves to Bly Manor to take care of a man's niece and nephew, Miles and Flora, after their parents died. And things turn sour when she starts to see ghosts of the previous governess, Miss Jessel, and her lover, <laughs> Peter Quint, around the property. So you know it's a good spooky house when it's called a manor and not a house. Oh, yeah. This thing's going to be fucking terrifying. Like, all manors are haunted, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> if you live in a manor. manor plantations. Oh, yeah. Manors. Yeah. Any, like, 1700s, 1800s yes. era building. Yes. There's, like, a 98% chance that shit's haunted as fuck. Yeah. As fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Mike Flanagan, in a conversation with Games Radar of all places, says, The thing I have access to that no other adaptation of The Turn of the Screw has is the rest of Henry James's ghost stories, and I get to use all of them. The Turn of the Screw is only one of a dozen stories that we're telling. All Henry James, all thematically linked. I think of Turn of the Screw as the backbone of this season, the uh, through line that carries us from beginning to end. But we get to go off into the jolly corner and the romance of certain old clothes, which are apparently other stories because they're capitalized. I've not read any of this stuff. Uh, and so many other of these wonderful ghost stories that people haven't seen adapted before. One um, of these is called The Romance of Certain Old Clothes. Yeah. Or, and the other one is The Jolly Corner. The Jolly Corner. So being on this podcast has made me realize that I am an ill-read person (laughs) yeah i don't read anything i don't know i don't even know who this person is i have an entire anthology you know what i've got a big ass anthology of like short horror stories over there okay that one of my in-laws gave me for christmas a year or two ago okay haven't even fucking opened it right when we take a break i'm gonna look to see if any of these stories are oh the one about the jolly corner maybe yeah um but he goes on to say uh this frees us up because in theory in this anthology format, every season can be its own exploration of another classic piece of horror literature mm. where actors can stay or go depending on their preference and their availability. This opens it up to a new cast and new chances for existing actors, and I love that format. It would be quite a disappointment to have to revisit the Cranes. It would rob them of the closure they got at the end of that season. Absolutely. So, so it opens itself up to very much like American Horror Story, where yeah, it's the same actors. definitely sounds like where this is headed. Yeah, which I think is a really great way to format a show, because the actors are clearly talented, but they wrap up the series, or the story so nicely mm-hmm. that it would seem a shame to... Then you have like the, what I would call the Walking Dead syndrome, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I I like anthology series. You know, some seasons are going to be hit or miss. Yeah, oh, of course. Uh, as we've seen with American Horror Story, some mm-hmm. seasons are better than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's good to try it. Um, with American Horror Story, are, are they all directed by the same person? Yes. Okay. So this one is set up to have multiple directors, depending on the episode, uh, with a lot of familiar names, including uh, Yolanda Ramke and Ben Howling, who did Cargo, uh, Ciaran Foy, who did Sinister 2, and Eli, which is a a new big promoted Netflix mm-hmm. movie, which I didn't think was that good. No, not um, a huge fan. Liam Gavin, who did a dark song, Axel Carolyn, who did tales of Halloween and grim grinning ghost. Hmm. Uh, there is no release date scheduled yet, but we will keep everybody apprised as we find out more. 
next up, we got something that I'm looking forward to. Um, and Alex is, could probably live her, with her no, without. No, no, I'm into it. I'm okay. into it. Because I right. only, yeah. Um, so, The House of Jack Built, Scream Factory, is finally bringing us the director's cut, unrated Blu-ray and DVD on February 4th. Um, in five audacious episodes, failed architect and arch sociopath Jack, played by Matt Dillon, recounts elaborately orchestrated murders, each as he views them as a towering work of art that define his career as a serial killer. Um... You guys, everybody's heard me and Palmer talk endlessly about this movie and how much we love it. Uh, my wife laughed at me when she saw this news because she was like, you're going to make me watch this again, aren't you? Did she see it with you? She watched it when we all were over at Palmer's the, place when we watched the theatrical the cut. The theatrical cut, right. So I <laughs> I feel like you guys joke on me a lot about how you know certain movies are black comedies, which are not. <laughs> this one is absolutely... Oh, without this a This is doubt. a hilarious movie, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing the cut... Yeah, scenes. There, there are parts in the director's cut that are funnier. Okay. Because of what's because in it, of, right? There are parts that, because of what's in it, where if you look at the theatrical cut, it doesn't make a ton of sense, and it's kind of funny because of that. Where okay. it gets like real dark, real fast. Yeah. So there was that one part. Um, I think it was the scene that they played it at the film festival where it had everyone walking out that had to do with the baby duckling. Yeah. So I had to Google to make sure that that was not real, which I, of course, knew it wasn't. Yeah. But I just wanted to make sure. And I feel like that. <laughs> you know, was that now that you mentioned it, it I, think, I think that it was cans. I, it's been a while since I've watched a theatrical cut because I was so disappointed with what they took out of it. Right. I think that might have been one of the clips they cut out of. They did. Okay. So the, he was holding this duckling, right? Yeah. But you don't see him doing anything to it. It's it's uh, like um, implied. Yeah. Or maybe you see the aftermath, but I think like the brutalness of it is. And cut. even even in the director's cut, from what I remember, there's there's not a lot of brutal. Like it's, it's literally just, he just takes a pair of clippers and just like cuts a leg off and puts it back in the water and it swims in circles. <laughs> see, that's funny. Yeah, it's not funny. But it's, it's not funny, funny but, but it's, it's funny. funny. Um, you know what else is funny? Palmer was right. Todd McFarlane opened yep. his fucking mouth and he's got some shit to say about Spawn. Oh, of course he does. Um, so oh, we've talked we've talked does. about this a couple of times over he the last few this. months. <laughs> uh, Palmer definitely called this one. Uh, so the last time we talked about this movie that I remember, the project was stuck at Bloomhouse with Jamie Foxx attached to Star <laughs> as the title character and Jeremy Renner signed on as Detective Twitch. Um, McFarlane's been bitching and moaning endlessly about how nobody's giving him the money to do it. He's and crowdsourcing he was, it. He was going to crowdsource it. Um, and 20, been, is it $20 million yeah, he's after? something fucking silly for a movie that nobody's asking for. <laughs> Nobody cares about. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> he's been tweaking the screenplay for years and recently threatened to crowdsource it. Um, I don't really know if that's a threat. Uh, but McFarlane shows up after, <laughs> <do> the, <laughs> after the great success of The Joker, comes out with an interview with the Phoenix New Times saying, we keep pushing for it. It's interesting because the Marvel movies, the MCU, has been doing quite well, and those are PG-13 movies. And I keep trying to convince people that doing a dark, serious comic book movie will work. There's been so much success with these PG-13 movies that there's a resistance to them in Hollywood. But since Joker came out, it proves what I've been saying for over two years. To any executives I can talk to, serious, dark comic books can work. Our movies can succeed. So now, all of a sudden, I've been getting a lot of phone calls saying, Todd... We need to talk to you about that R-rated dark thing you wanted to do. That's not true. I am, like, honestly... He follows it up with, so Joker did me a favor. Oh, God. I'm willing to bet nobody's called him. So I have two points about this that have nothing to do with with this movie. And have both to do 
with McFarlane. One, I feel like this is becoming the new New Mutants, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) And two, I literally have such... I don't even... I I fucking hate this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he annoys the shit out of me. Just go back to designing action figures, dude. You're really good at that shit. Like... You can't tell a fucking story. That's the reason the Joker worked. It tells yes. a story. Now, granted, from what I've heard, the story falls a little short in certain places. Right. But it, it, didn't it make like $750 million it's, or yeah, something like that? Yeah. I haven't checked. I didn't check the numbers to, uh, this week. Um, there's a very good chance it's well over $800 million at this yeah. point. I'm just, I'm really tired of hearing about this, especially because it's been such, it's nothing substantial nor concrete. It's all just him bitching. I and, think I would give a shit if... He wasn't calling it a movie about Spawn. Because right. everything we've heard, it's not really about Spawn. It isn't. Spawn's right. barely in it. And so he's like, this is where he compared it to Jaws, where he's just barely in the movie, and that's yeah. what makes it scary. But from what I've also heard, it's only Twitch. His partner's not in it. Right. So it's just a lot of Jeremy Renner, who yeah. I could take or leave. Cool. What cool. up, Hawkeye? Whatever, Jeremy Renner. Like, literally the worst part of Avengers. <laughs> I'm sorry, that was a vodka Red Bull speaking. <laughs> He's the second worst part about the adventure. What's the first worst? I don't know. <laughs> Scarlett Johansson. Okay, I'll give you that one. Um, but I feel like she's a poorly written character and she also is boring. Yeah, but I think she's also boring in real life. In real life. Like, she just doesn't seem like she has a lot of personality. But she's also very beautiful. It's just she doesn't need to be. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's where we'll leave it for the next six months while we listen to Todd McFarlane talk about how many phone calls he's not getting. He li- It sounds like he, he, like, straight up sounds like he's lying. This is the kind of this is the kind of interview you give when you're trying to pump up your own shit and get someone to buy in on something that doesn't exist. You know, the Phoenix News Times is a very reputable news source. <laughs> uh, Fuck this guy. All right. Well, uh, next up, we got Books of Blood. We got a ton of information about this. Uh, so Brandon Braga, who did the Orville, was developing a small screen adaptation of Clive Barker's Books of Blood, the six volumes of his stories that were published in the mid '80s. A few of these already adapted for the screen, like The Midnight Meat Train, Rawhide Rex, and Dread. Um, But now it's turning into a movie with Braga co-writing, executive producing and directing, and Seth MacFarlane, of all people, executive producing as well. That's bizarre to me. I know we've talked about it before, but I completely forgot. I think it's because of their attachment on the Orville. What is the Orville? It's the, like... What is this? I forget. I haven't watched it, but the closest comparison that I can understand is, like, a live-action Futurama meets, like... Oh. comedy Star Trek okay. kind of thing. Oh, that sounds good. I'm, I'm sorry to anybody out there like, if I'm like stupid completely off base idiot. with that. <laughs> um, but we got a lot of news about who's going to be starring in this. Um, starting with Anna Friel from Marcella, who's going to be starring alongside Britt Robertson, who was in For the People. Mm-hmm. Rafi Gavron, who's in A Star is Born. And Yul Vasquez uh, from Midnight Me Train and Texas. Um, or Texas Chainsaw. Additionally, uh, some... More news came out. We got Andy McQueen from Fahrenheit 451, mm-hmm. uh, Frida Shen from Ad Astra, and Nicholas Campbell uh, from Da Vinci's Inquest, which I've never heard of. I don't even know what that is. Uh, I feel like this whole podcast so far has just been me being like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I know Ad Astra. I know Fahrenheit 451. Yes. Uh, but there's going to be a lot more information coming out on this as the film is expected to premiere in the fall of 2020. So expect next year to be chock full. I think next year is going to be Clive Barker's year. There we go. It's, I mean, honestly, I'll be, I'll be the first to admit this is another group, like group of things I have not read. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't know. I mean, I've seen midnight me train, Mm -hmm. but that's about as far as, as it goes for me. 
Yeah, I've seen Midnight Me Train and Rawhead Rex. Oh, oh okay. Oh. I have I have not read. I will be the first to admit I have not read any of Clive Barker's stuff. No, it's another. Like I know his material. I don't. I can't say I've read it. Um, and most of that is because there is like a good eight years where I probably didn't read a single fucking book. I know. I like feel like I am just getting back into reading as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. What does Brandon Braga? What has he done? I'm trying to look up his IMDb. Aside from the Orville, I have no idea. So I feel like he did like his name seems like he did. Okay, Star Trek. Lots of Star Trek. Which is probably how he signed on to the Orville. <laughs> that makes more sense. You want to do a show about things in space? <laughs> I love space. I love space. So he's done a lot more producing, obviously, than directing. He also did a documentary on, oh, no, a, a music video for Marilyn Manson. Okay. <laughs> Does it say what song? Cupid Carries a Gun. Okay. <laughs> cool, cool. All right. Well, keep an ear out for that. We'll we'll be talking more about it over the next, I don't know, 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, next up, Ghostbusters. We've talked about this a lot as well. Uh, Dan Aykroyd breaking some more news uh, saying, Jason Reitman wrote a beautiful heartfelt script that takes the DNA from the first two movies and hands the legacy off to a new generation of stars and characters um, while on the Greg Hill show. I don't know who that is either. I don't I don't know what shows or newspapers or journals these people are fucking talking to. Um, which really makes me wonder why they're not talking to us. Um, I know, right? He continues to say, and we've shot our part. Myself, Bill Murray, Sigourney Weaver, and Annie Potts. It was really exciting working on this new idea. So we here we have uh, Dan Aykroyd confirming Bill Murray coming back as Rapey Peter Venkman. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whether or not he's still rapey in his old uh, wizened age is, uh, well, we'll have to wait and see. Something um, tells me he's less rapey. Yeah, probably. Um, but he finishes up with this interview saying, it's going to be scary. It's going to be thought-provoking. It's going to be heartfelt. We'll recognize the late Harold Ramis in this film in some way. That's nice. It's nice to hear also that it's going to be somewhat scary. Yeah. Because I don't obviously find the first Ghostbuster nor the second to be scary. Yeah. Palmer well, probably, Palmer scary probably. is a sliding scale here. It is. I wonder what Bill Murray finds scary. Rape allegations. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Uh, I I didn't realize that Paul Rudd's going to be in it. Yep. That's nice. Yeah. Finn Wolfhard. This this movie's got a very large cast signed on for it and uh, working on it right now. Um, And I think it's... When do I have this? I was going to say, when is it supposed to come out? Uh, This is slated to come out July 10th. So kicking off next summer with it. So they have an exact date. Yeah. Um, And that date, I feel like, has kind of been their target date for a good two months or three months at this point yeah um, so i'm assuming they're still on track there's been no news of that date being pushed back uh shrine sam raimi's producing non-evil dead things that nobody's gonna give a shit about <laughs> boo. Boo. <laughs> boo jeffrey dean morgan's taking a break from the walking dead uh and he'll continue hanging around in the horror genre though with screen gems upcoming shrine an adaptation of the same titled novel penned by james herbert uh, another book that i haven't read and we've learned via deadline <laughs> that Jordana Brewster, who was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Lethal Weapon and a billion other things, is Jordana has joined Brewster. The cast. Was she also on the first Fast and Furious movie? Uh, that, that I don't her? remember. She was in the Faculty. Oh, that's right. Okay, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, she Never was in mind. the Faculty. Uh, Evan Spilotopoulos, I think, is how you say his name. Spiliotopoulos. I don't know. It's something Greek at the I was end. Say super Greek. Super <laughs> Greek. He's on board to adapt the novel and direct the film. 
what is this movie? What is this book? Shrine focuses on a disgraced journalist who discovers a series of seemingly divine miracles in a small New England town, using them to resurrect his career. But the miracles may have a much darker source. Miracles. Miracles. I just loved how literally all of the comments on this article are just about how Jordana Brewster's nice to look at. <laughs> yeah, she's always been really pretty. Everyone's like, yeah, but people seem to care about that. <laughs> I mean, you are reading through a comment section. I, I am obsessed with comment sections. Comment sections are sometimes great and I'm sometimes they're fucking horrible. There's there's no release date scheduled for this yet, but because it's a Sam Raimi thing, we will, of course, talk about it. Um, and who doesn't like Jeffrey Dean Morgan? I love Jeffrey Dean Morgan. He's yeah. also very nice to look at. I feel like... Uh, he is a handsome man. He is a handsome man. I feel like this is going to be pretty well funded considering it's a, you know, a Raimi production. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about this more once we find out more about it. Uh, one thing we're going to talk about probably this time and probably for the last time ever until it comes out. And then What's we'll that? see it and dunk on it. Black Christmas. Oh, I don't know. The closer to Christmas it gets, I might just... No, we're going to go see it. Bring it up. At the very least, you and I are going to see it when it comes out. I I, I also um, feel like my just age has shrouded all <laughs> like feelings about this movie into just complete contempt. Yeah. Uh, why, why might there be a little bit more contempt this time? Because for the first time ever, Black Christmas is coming out as a PG-13 what movie. What the fuck? Um... <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure at this point, every time we hear more information about it, um, Bloomhouse is, or is it Bloomhouse? Yeah. Bloomhouse is purposefully trying to tank this movie to get people to not watch it. it they're pandering, right? So exactly. They've got to be. They're pandering to like, like. The trailer was ridiculous. The Gen Z. Gen, not that I have a problem with Gen Z, but like they are pandering to a completely different audience. Yeah. The trailer was ridiculous and it has automatically sets up the red herring. Has nothing to do with, with Black Christmas. With Black Christmas. If they would have just called this movie something different, I would have been totally well, fine with it. they couldn't call it Sorority Row. They already did that one. <laughs> if they called it something different, I probably would have gone to see it as a fun slasher movie to watch during the holidays. Yeah. But because they tried to associate this with Black Christmas, which is probably one of the most quintessential horror slasher movies of all time, it just fucking pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, what was I saying? No, I mean, that that makes sense. So why is this movie PG-13? Uh, violence, terror, thematic content involving sexual assault, language, sexual material, and drinking. So it sounds like a college party. It does. This movie is just going to be a 90-minute college party with a name that it has no right to bear. <laughs> here, here. Uh, but we'll probably see it. We'll definitely talk about oh, it. I'm going to see it. Yeah. I'm going to just yeah, hate we're, watch we're, it. Alex and I are going to get hammered. Boom. We're going to go hate watch this movie. <laughs> And then we'll talk about it for Christmas uh, because, you know, things like this need people need to know what you should and shouldn't see, watch or do. Um, <laughs> and that includes apparently Bloomhouse and Universal. Uh, this movie is coming out, sadly, December 13th. Uh, next up uh, on some other remake news, Spyglass is remaking Scream. Huh. Uh, they're keeping Ghostface alive and well. Uh, Gary Barber's Spyglass Media Group is developing the next Scream based on the franchise created by the late, great Wes Craven and writer Kevin Williamson. Uh, this isn't that surprising, though. Spyglass is remaking Hellraiser, which is another Dimension Films property. Uh, so, so did they sell off all the rights to these franchises after the Harvey Weinstein debacle? Yes, they did. So Spyglass Media Group was relaunched as a content company in March uh. by former MGM leader uh, Gary Barber. Um, and then Lantern Entertainment co-presidents Andy Mitchell and Milos Brajevich 
along with strategic investors from Eagle Pictures and Cineworld Group. Mm -hmm. uh, Lantern Entertainment is the company that bought all of the Dimension Films assets after Harvey Weinstein okay. went bankrupt and disappeared. Did he go to jail? Or is he in trials? Or I think he was being he tried. Like he's being tried in... Permanently disgraced, oh, he's obviously. absolutely permanently disgraced. I feel like he's being tried in... It's either California, like... I don't... I actually don't know, okay. to be honest with you. Um, so, yeah. Dimension Films catalog wound up in uh, some new hands and it looks like they're going to dig into everything and so how do you feel about this i'm okay with it um because you know i didn't watch the tv show no i didn't either because uh, that was what mtv right i don't know um i heard it was all right yeah i uh, heard it's not bad because they're, they're they're trying some new things which i appreciate um do you have a thought on how they should take this what direction uh I feel like they should definitely exclude See, Scream I'm 4. And that's the thing. like, Which is trite garbage. It's, it's it's not like the movies got better as the franchise went along. No. Uh, not by any means. So part of me says go ahead and like just remake it. Okay. Or do what they did for Halloween where the first movie is canon. Okay, yeah. And then... And then reimagine start and start from there. I would have to agree with you on that one. And maybe the first and second one. Yeah. But I don't think that you can re I don't know. I have a hard time imagining it being rebooted because mm -hmm. I think the reason that scream was so good was because it was so original at the time. Yeah. And so nineties. You know and what I mean? Again, I think this, this is that th like we've talked about this ad nauseum with Palmer's hatred for this era. It's just like, would these movies work nowadays? Right. And I don't, I don't know if you can take the parts that made Scream so great as like a a postmodern commentary mm -hmm. and bring it into 2020. Well, so they tried to do that with the fourth one, right? Yeah. They updated it. I think there was like some streaming going mm -hmm. on and there was like, I don't know, like live blogging or whatever. And it didn't work. Oh, you people were vlogging? I think people were vlogging. It was kind of like the... Do they still call it that or is it just called YouTube now? I don't know. Don't ask me what the kids are saying these <laughs> days. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't, for, I don't feel as much hate towards it as I do for something like a Black Christmas, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like I'm not thrilled about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm reserved about it. I, I feel like it's been long enough, and you know, let somebody sure, let somebody take a stab at it. You know, MTV's doing the show and kind of <laughs> expanding on the mythology. I've heard it's all right. At some point, I'll get around to watching it. If I can ever figure out if it's streaming anywhere that isn't MTV. It's funny that you said take a stab at it, because I'm pretty sure that was the movie that they were producing in the second one. <laughs> I think it was. Or in the third one. Yeah. Stab. No. <laughs> that was a completely unintentional one for me. Damn. Wish I had actually thought about that ahead of time. Yeah. Next up, another remake. We've, uh, But this one is going in a wildly different direction. <laughs> uh, Tattoo screaming Zeppelin, Zeppelin, Zeppelin from Fantasy Island. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, because Bloomhouse and Sony are taking us back to uh, Fantasy Island this coming February for a bold new vision of the late 70s, early 80s TV series. But this time, it's a murder mystery horror film. Okay. Which is really bizarre. I've never seen the original Fantasy Island. All I know is the plane, the plane. Yeah. But I... Um, I don't remember a whole lot of that show. Did you watch it? I've, I've seen a few episodes. I don't really... It's, it's from the 70s? Yeah, yeah. It was before we were born. Okay. Uh, I've seen a few episodes of the show. I don't remember anything about it other than Tattoo. Yeah. Um, so in this one, 
fantasies become nightmares in this take on the mysterious island, which forces the guests to live out twisted versions of their deepest, darkest desires. The enigmatic Mr. Rourke, played by Michael Pena, makes the secret dreams of his lucky guests come true at a luxurious but remote tropical resort where you have everything you could possibly imagine except cell phone service. Uh, When the fantasies turn into nightmares, the guests have to solve the island's mysteries in order to escape with their lives. Okay. Uh, So we got Lucy Hale from Truth or Dare. We got Michael Rooker, Charlotte McKinney, uh, along with a couple other people whose names I don't recognize. Um, And Truth or Dare's Jeff Wadlow is directing the script written by... Himself, Chris Roach, and Jillian Jacobs. Uh, so again, it looks like Bloomhouse is going back to the well with the people they've worked with before, and giving everyone from Truth or Dare Truth a shot Dare, to yeah. kind of do what they want. So on further inspection of the original Fantasy Island, it was Mr. Rourke made the dreams of his guests come true. Yeah. So okay, this is. I, I think it's just they're, they're taking the same premise and just but flipping making it, it over. Si- sinister. And I th- that's a good that's yeah. a good way to reimagine it. It is. Who? <laughs> what boomer's gonna show up? Be like, see, <laughs> boomers are gonna be like, oh, they're remaking Fantasy Island into a movie. That's gonna be so cool. And they awesome. show up and it's just fucking terrifying. I will actually say though, my mother, who is a boomer, is one of the most avid watchers of horror movies in the theaters. She probably <laughs> goes to see more of them than I do. Actually, that's not true. But she's up there. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, she Maybe is. Maybe next time she comes to visit, we'll go visit. We'll go see this movie. Yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, we got one more movie thing coming out. Movie uh, thing. Movie thing, and then we're gonna jump into some shit that only Palmer cares about, just to make him happy while he edits this. <laughs> <laughs> Little fucker. Hey, he did say that. Uh, just let him know when it's time to edit, so he feels like he's contributing right now. Um, but this one, thank you, Jacob, for sh- sending this over to me on Twitter, because um, that's where I found out about this. Color Out of Space, a new trailer was released for the new Nicolas Cage film that comes out next year which is written by Richard Stanley and Scarlett Ameris. Um, some information after a meteorite lands in the front yard of their farm, Nathan Gardner, who is played by Nicolas Cage and his family, find themselves battling a mutant extraterrestrial organism as it infects their minds and bodies, transforming their quiet rural life into a technicolor nightmare. Uh, the technicolor nightmare looks a lot like fuchsia, but apparently in this universe, that color doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Fuchsia slash magenta. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> That's the color that... It's a color I've never seen before. It's magenta. Yeah, it's it's, it's fucking magenta. Um, the trailer looks really weird. Um, Nicolas Cage looks really weird. It's a Nicolas Cage renaissance, and I am fucking here for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm absolutely 100% in... Um, it's Lovecraftian. It Ding. is Lovecraftian. Ding. That is a perfect <laughs> one for Palmer. Um, we're going to make you happy, buddy. Um... Yeah, this... Uh, so it looks like... I don't even really know. Part of me worries, though, that... What what was that awful fucking movie where the, that he was in that the trees were killing people? Is it The Happening? Was that Nicolas Cage? No, that was Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg, okay. Okay, hello. <laughs> he he did something similar, <laughs> did though. Did he? Nicolas Cage... So with trees? May, uh, maybe... I don't know. Are you talking about the M. Night Shyamalan movie where the trees kill people? When they breathe in the wind? Yeah, that's the movie I'm thinking of, but he was Nicolas Cage was in a movie that was like a similar kind of like Like recently. Oh, it, his was the sun was killing people. Oh. Or like I'm, the world is ending because the sun was gonna blow up or some shit. Okay, I vaguely remember what you're talking about. Um I don't know. There there are definite shades of those movies in this trailer. There are some shades of Mandy. There are some shades of Mandy, especially in the color palette. Especially in this unknown color color palette. But it's the same producers of Mandy. 
Yes, it's okay. uh, it's um. I know you probably just said that, but I. Shit. Shit. They just did an interview. Uh, Spectrovision. That's right. That's Spectrovision. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's um. Fuck. The last podcast guys actually just did an interview with them, and uh, I can't remember the name of the actor that everybody knows that runs this shit. Elijah Wood. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Elijah Wood and Daniel Noah. It's their company that's producing this. Love um, it. So this comes out next year. Um, the trailer makes this movie look just as weird as I would expect a Nicolas Cage movie to be these days. Um, you know, now that he's doing things that he wants to do for the most part and not just things to do to get out of debt. Right. Um, also, the movie that you were talking about, I believe it's called The Knowing. Yes. Where uh, he was buried in a time capsule. The knowing, the happening, whatever. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were very close. Um, all right. So to wrap up this week, we're going to blow through some uh, news from BlizzCon that Palmer gives a shit about and that the rest of us don't. Um, but first, we're going to start with the new Outlast teaser. Outlast Masterminds Red Barrels teaser upcoming project with a post on Twitter on Halloween, which seems like forever ago at this point. Um, they mentioned back in 2017 that they had hoped to make Outlast 3, but at the same time, they were working on a distinct experience set in the Outlast universe. Um, the post is just a still shot picture of two dark, dirty hands clasping together vertically as if pulling somebody up or possibly down. Uh, way to be cryptic, guys. It means absolutely <laughs> fucking nothing. Um, and then finally this week, uh, which I know Palmer has just been kind of giddy about ever since it came out. And says, rest in peace, Hong Kong, because nobody cares about you anymore now that this got announced. Diablo 4 announced at BlizzCon to distract people from Blizzard caving to China's whims. Diablo 4 has been described by game director Luis Barriga as going back to the series' darker roots where every monster and character has a sense of place. It'll be dark and gothic in a bleak, shattered hellscape, bereft of hope and beset by demons, and blah, 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 blah. Bespoke? Did they, sorry, did they just use the word bespoke? No, beset. Oh, beset. beset. <laughs> Although I guess technically it is bespoke. They're custom making all this shit. That's a very nice write-up. A good synopsis. It is. Blah, blah, Um, blah. (laughs) There's two hours of gameplay footage available online for anybody who cares, along with a pretty gnarly cinematic trailer. It looks like Diablo. It looks like it plays like Diablo. It looks like it's 2019 or 2020's Diablo. So uh, if you're into it, good for you. Palmer might try to rope me in on this, but he got me on WoW, and I don't think I'm going to let him get me twice. (laughs) He's never going anywhere else. Uh, So that being said, time to talk about the movies that came out last week, this week, and what you have to look forward to. All right, so kicking it off, I think everything except for one of them is a VOD this time around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to start, we've got Ghost in the Graveyard came out November 5th on VOD from Dark Coast. The town of Mount Moriah comes under the thumb of Martha. 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 So uh, Batman's mom is showing up this time. A ghost who comes back to haunt the teens who witnessed her death as children during a game of Ghost in the Graveyard. I like how the game is the title of the movie. Right. And who cares? And who cares? Uh, I believe this movie's starring Jake Busey, so you can guarantee Ooh. it's going to be bad and it's going to be funny. He's going to have that. And you're just going to wonder the whole time what his father was doing. He's going to have that, that Busey smile. That weird. God, just God. fuck the mouth on that family. <laughs> <laughs> it's shocking how much Jake looks like his fucking dad. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just the, um, ma- it's the mouth. It is the mouth. Um, I could be wrong. This could be the movie coming up, actually, that uh, 
The one at the end that I'm going to get to might actually be the Jake Busey movie. I'll figure it out. Holiday Hell next up, November 5th on VOD from Uncorked Entertainment. On Christmas Eve, a woman enters a curiosity shop looking for a last-minute gift. There, she meets a mysterious shopkeeper who tells her the horrific stories behind four objects in the shop. As he weaves tales of killer dolls, witches, and psycho Santas, the woman senses she might be in danger. She has until midnight to choose her gift, but will she choose wisely? The synopsis for this to me sounds interesting. The, the synopsis sounds fucking awesome. Like, it sounds awesome. campy as shit. Yeah. But it, it, sounds, it, it sounds a lot like Tales from the Crypt. Yeah. Or something like that in a fucking novelty shop. Yeah, and yeah. I am all for it. And it's Christmas uh, themed, which just means it's my favorite. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to sit on this one until December 1st and probably watch it then. Perfect. Uh, next up, this one came out last week. If you've wanted to see it, you've probably already seen it. Um, or, I don't know, maybe your friends suck. Because um, I haven't seen it yet, and yeah. I don't know if I know that my friends want to see it. Dr. Sleep yep. came out on the 8th in theaters from Warner Brothers and Vertigo. We've talked about this one a ton. The film continues the story of Danny Torrance 40 years after his terrifying stay at the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. Still irrevo- irrevocably scarred by the trauma he endured as a child at the Overlook, Danny's fought, or now going by Dan. Oh, he's just Because he's an adult, now. so it's now Dan Torrance. He's fought to find some semblance of peace, but that peace is shattered when he encounters Abra, a curious teenager, a courageous teenager with her own powerful extrasensory gift known as the Shine. It's got above average ratings on Rotten Tomatoes. That's not surprising. No, it's got almost. I've heard it's pretty good. Yeah, almost, almost great reviews on Google users. Of course. <laughs> um, so instinctively recognizing that Dan shares her power, she's sought him out, desperate for his help against the merciless Rose the Hat and her followers, the True Knot who feed off the shine of innocence in their quest for immortality. Forming an unlikely alliance, Dan and Abra engage in brutal life-or-death battle with Rose, where Abra's innocence and fearless embrace of her shine compelled Dan to call upon his own powers as never before, and once facing his fears and reawakening the ghosts of his past. Mm. All right. We've seen a bajillion trailers for this movie. Yeah, it's Mike Flanagan, which I have become quite fond of yeah i like so, mike flanagan I'm, I, I'm into it i think something that's you know he's he's quickly turned into one of those directors where i think if i watch something of his and it's bad mm. or i don't like it like it i think it's bad for him yes i think it would be like an eight or nine out of ten for half the other genre directors <laughs> yes that's fair um that's a fair assessment because unlike unlike our uh, flew too close to the sun Ari Aster, uh-huh. uh, Mike Flanagan has a much larger catalog at this point, and um, they're all consistently and they're all consistently good, consistently good. And he's done like TV shows, movies. Yeah, he's very talented. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think I think Jordan Peele's kind of getting some of that blowback now as well. Um, you know, the more he does, I'm seeing less and less positive stuff for him i think that's what happens when you come out of the gates like just really strong yeah and i think that i think that's what happened with ari aster Mm -hmm. as well um and again not to say that you know any of the stuff they've done is bad because it's not um absolutely you know you set a bar super high it's really high it's really hard to clear that a second time or a third time right um so next up on november 8th from Lionsgate on vod and with a limited theater theatrical run we got primal uh this one might not actually be a horror movie, but as is my sworn lifelong <laughs> duty to support and defend the great St. Nicholas Cage. 
Hunter and collector Frank Walsh expects a big payday after bagging a priceless white jaguar for a zoo, but the ship bearing Frank's precious cargo has another predator, a political assassin facing extradition to America. When the prisoner manages to break free, Walsh must utilize his expert skills to capture the dangerous killer, not dead, but alive. This has terrible reviews. Yeah, so this sounds like <laughs> one of those Nicolas Cage movies that he did to pay off a debt. Yeah. Does he has money now, though? He doesn't need to do that anymore, does he? He did buy a castle. He I thought does he, he still two. own the castles? No. He had to uh, sell them. The IRS came after them? Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. But I think there's just, like, there is enough Nicolas Cage crazy yep. to give everybody a taste. That's true. And I feel like there's the different types of Nicolas Cage crazy depending on what you're a fan of. Yeah. Right? You know, the, like, the Mandy Nick Cage is different than the Ghost Rider crazy Nick Cage. Yeah. That's I mean, hell, different. it's different than the mom and dad Nick Cage, Absolutely. which was the same year, uh-huh. uh, which was also a good movie. I think like that was a good one. Mandy was much better. Yes. This is probably an awful movie, so that means I'm hoping that Color Out of Space is going to be like his absolute Oscar bait, just welcome to the cage Oh, I love it. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, and finally, we've got The Shed. The um, Shed? I didn't realize my brother's company made a movie. Uh, November 15th on VOD from RLJE Films, Stan lives with his abusive grandfather and tries to protect his best friend from high school bullies. When he discovers a murderous creature has taken refuge inside his tool shed, he tries to battle the demon alone until his bullied friend discovers the creature and has a far more sinister plan. Mm. Is this bullied creature Pennywise? I mean, it kind of sounds... I feel like at this point, if you're bullied, you're Pennywise. If you're bullied, then you live in dairy. Yeah. That sounds about right. Well, that's all we got for this week. Time to jump in to flesh-eating mothers. Flesh-eating mothers. Chomp. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to tonight's main event. All right, so before we dive into this week's main event, as promised when we took our little break in between sessions, it doesn't seem like a break to you guys at all. Uh, <laughs> this book that I have that I mentioned, this anthology collection, The Triumph of the Night, uh, which was bought for me for Christmas like two years ago by one of my brother-in-laws, um, has a collection of probably about 25-ish, maybe 30, 27 short stories. Uh, from all sorts of authors, including one by Henry James, The Jolly Corner. It's four pages long um, in this big-ass book, so it's probably, you know, a little bit longer, and it's very tight type. Um, And I read through the first sentence thinking I was going to read through it here, but it's really fucking long, so we're going to skip it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, plans have changed plans have changed i will actually sit down and read this book though um so this week we are talking about flesh eating mothers came out in i believe 88 yes 1988 came out in 1988 directed by james avilas martin written by james avilas martin and zev schlesinger with a pretty big cast including robert lee oliver as jeff nathan Donatella Hecht as Linda Douglas, Neil Rosen as Rinaldi Vivaldo. The only character who matters. The only character who <laughs> matters. Um, and he's really fucking dumb. Uh, Valerie Hubbard as Joyce Shepard, Terry Hayes as Timmy Nolan, Catherine Mayfield as Siv- uh, Sylvia Douglas, Suzanne Ehrlich as Rita Vivaldo, Louis, or Louis Homiak, Homiak as Roddy Douglas, Ken Eaton as Commissioner Dixon, Allie Ninenste- uh, Ninestein as Miss Shepard, 
Michael Fuer as Dr. Lee Growley, who does his best overacting out of anybody in this movie. Uh, Mickey Ross as Clyde McDormick. Grace Pettyjohn as Booty Burnett. What a great name for a fucking booty call person. Like, this is your role in the movie. Your name is going to be Booty. Uh, Tony DeRiso as Frankie Lemangelo. 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 <laughs> and Marie Michaels as Louis McDormick. Um, so, Palmer's not here. When we originally wrote the script, we were all going to be together. Then last week happened. Palmer couldn't be here, and we pushed us back a week. So, two burning questions from Palmer to you, Alex, specifically. Okay. Ready to answer. Are you the only person in the world that really loves this movie? You know, I think I need to preface this entire segment of the episode by saying that my feelings for this movie are just covered in nostalgia okay like a sweet barbecue sauce all right (laughs) the way that i feel for this movie i feel has a lot to do with when i saw it and how old i i was when i saw it that being said okay when you read um reviews for this movie on like websites like horror blogs Mm -hmm. etc yes i it does seem like i'm the only person who likes this movie okay but when you read the reviews on imdb and or Rotten Tomatoes, I am not. Okay. Um, interesting, though, that you mentioned nostalgia and a thick, tangy, tasty barbecue sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just had a baby. I did. Uh, and you wanted to watch a goofy <laughs> film about eating children. Yes. And since this month is a month about cannibalism, uh, do you secretly want to eat your baby? I... Is his actual name Snack? <laughs> That's what I call him. All right. I feel like there's the whole thing about babies, right? Is that they're supposed to look cute so that you don't want to eat them. Yes. Is that not... That's a whole I think biological so. human phenomenon, right? Or just in animals, maybe just in mammals in general. What's the youngest... There, There's a baby that's eaten in this movie. Right, so you don't But he's actually... like... He, he's like a toddler. Yeah, he's a toddler. So, he's not but, like an infant. Right, and I you don't see that. It's alluded to, but it is the one you know, flesh eating part of the movie that you don't actually get to see. Yeah. Because I think for 1988, that was much too taboo. Yeah. But no, this movie is, this movie is something. All right. (laughs) Well, let's dive in and fill our bellies with some tasty, tasty baby meat. Uh, So this movie opens in winter with a hunter hurrying through the woods, suddenly spotting blood on the snow and realizing that the blood is his own. Oh, God. His arm's been severed. And that his pursuer, a tired-looking blonde woman, is hot on his heels, and she moves to attack him, and the hunter shoots. And then we get, as you mentioned, a late 80s movie opening sequence that seems very much early 80s, if even that, where we get the words flesh-eating mothers that appear on screen, and then bites are taken out of it, and blood trickles down, and you get these big chomp sounds that we hear throughout the whole movie that I'm pretty sure they did just by eating an apple right next to a microphone. Yes, Oh, man. And We're off to a great start. And then it's got the illustrations, right? The illustrated opening credits yep. of, like, children's drawings yep. of suburbia is what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, so then we get the proper opening of this movie. So we're post-title sequence, and we get to see kind of how all this shit starts. So the film opens on a post-coital couple in a suburban bedroom where Roddy Douglas and Booty Burnett are wrapping up their booty call, who and they're both married to other people. And they're having some pillow talk. Roddy and his wife never have sex anymore, so he often slips out to see Booty under the guise of jogging. 
I'm going to go for a jog. I'm going to go for a jog. I'm going to go for a jog. Didn't you just jog this morning? Yeah, but I, I just need to go for another run. You know, I've been home for three and a half minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, already I can just, I can feel it. My my legs, they're, they're burning. Something's burning. Something's, Something's burning. burning. What is to, it? I need to go for another run. Um, after this, we see uh, teenage creep Rinaldi Vivaldo in his bedroom who's been suspended from school. So he sits around in his bedroom, grounded by his mom, listening to fucking music. Smoking uh, Marlboro Reds. Smoking, smoking Marlboro Reds, yelling at his mom, and spying on his neighbor's secret affairs. It does not say where this movie takes place, but in my mind, it takes place in Trent, New Jersey. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'll take it. You, you were very specific with Trenton. You probably could have just gotten away with New Jersey. No, it's Trent, New Jersey. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> after this, we see Clyde. We meet Clyde McDermott, uh, McDormick, who is a local cop uh, who arrives at his ex-wife's house, Lois, to deliver his alimony check. Um, Lois doesn't want to see him face-to-face and tells him to leave, but Clyde wants to talk about taking care of their young son, Billy, more often. Fearing that Lois is always drunk and wanting to remove Billy from what he views as a dangerous environment. All right, respectable. Wants, wants, wants to be to a good right dad, thing, do the yeah. right thing. Um, after this, so this movie's, god damn it, this movie jumps around a lot. Um, <laughs> it's so the, hard to keep track of. The first of. half hour is just like meeting different people in different scenes. Um, and none of it fucking ties together at all. So please stay with us, folks. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Uh, after this, we see teen friends Linda and Joyce walking home from school where a prank by some local boys leads to resident loner played uh, Jeff Nathan uh, to bump into the two of them. It's uh, They throw a football, right? They do. If I remember. Uh, Jeff apologizes when they yell at him, and the girls agree he's cute but strange. I don't know what about him is strange. He seems like, honestly, the most normal person in this entire town. Yeah, he's just a quiet dude. Yeah. Don't he's be just so quiet, dude. Well, that's, you know, that stands out in Trent, New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is where we find out that uh, Linda is Roddy's daughter. Uh, when she gets home from school, and he's going to go out for another jog at this yep. point. So he comes home, sees Linda, says hi, calls her princess or whatever the fuck he calls her. He's got some some weird pet name some for weird her. Some weird pet name for her. Uh, but he's like, shit, I'm looking at my kid. I need to go for another jog. <laughs> Can't uh, handle this. But Roddy's wife is quick to remind him that he's got blueprints to submit. And uh, he says, uh, the blueprints, uh, I'll just make it a quickie. Right. He's going to go for a, a quick jog. The innuendos in this movie are so heavy-handed <laughs> and not clever. So I have to wonder how close does bo- how close does Booty live? I mean, like I said, Trent, New Jersey's not a big city. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that they're all, you know, quite close to each other. Yeah. Does he jog there? Probably. 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 Um, after this, we get to meet uh, Timmy Nolan and his younger brother, who might as well both be 40, um, as they plead with their mom for <laughs> money for the ice cream truck that comes by. Uh, I guess when we meet them, they're like wrestling yeah. in the living room or some shit um, while she's just kind of sitting there like, Ooh, my sons. Look at my boys. Um, the ice cream truck operator is Joyce's new boyfriend, Frankie Lamangelo. So now now things are getting tied together. Uh but if you thought you were going to have any sense made there, uh, hold on to your butts, folks, because, uh, nope. Officer Clyde McDormick goes to visit his friend, Dr. Lee Growley, or, uh, who's the police medical examiner. Um, and the only person with any sense in this whole movie. Yeah, in this very, like, ramshackle morgue, um, <laughs> which we, we know is a morgue because there's a severed hand in the fridge. Uh, but the only <laughs> thing that seems to be missing is your staple, like sandwich on a cadaver's stomach thing that we see in all these other movies yes 
Um, that's. I feel like that's the only part that was missing. I, I I don't. I feel like that's the easiest thing to be like. Oh yeah, this this guy deals with dead bodies. Just put his fucking lunch pail on the guy's stomach. On the stomach, or just the sandwich. Yeah, or just a sandwich. Um, so they have a few beers and talk about uh, McDormick's divorce, but then Commissioner Dixon comes in and starts criticizing them for drinking on the job. And when he leaves is when McDormick and Gruley Growley uh, start talking about what happened to his missing arm. Right. Uh, so there's speculation that Dixon's arm was taken by a bear during a hunting trip and he accidentally shot his own wife while trying to defend them from the bear. But then when peop- when the police went back afterwards, there was no trace of a bear. Yeah, no bear So, inside. you know, mystery yeah. is ensuing. Yep. There is doubt in the story. Yes, there is. <laughs> um, so across town at a neighborhood poker game, again, uh, that has most of the local moms, uh, this is where we find out that Rita Vivaldo, Mrs. Shepard, and Booty Burnett have all been banging Roddy Douglas. God, that guy does a lot of jogging. That's right. a lot of jogging. Um, Jeff Nathan returns to the screen at this point, and we get to see his awful fucking home life mm. where his drunk dad. fucking muscle-bound dad just beats on his mom, beats on him. Um, he shows up, and his dad's walking out of the house, and he's like, again, his dad ultimately does the 80s version of calling him a bitch and saying, what you going to do? And shoves him to the ground. Yeah. Uh, Jeff goes inside, sees his mom. She's got a nice big shiner. Uh, his dad's been drinking. You're going to beating her up. But she probably, you know, swears a box fell from the attic or some shit. Um, Jeff insists that he and his mom have to leave, but she just can't bring herself to do it. Uh, at which point the film then does a very quick jump cut back to Lois, Clyde's ex-wife, who's eating a ton of food and stuffing her face like an ill-fated guest on a Willy Wonka factory tour. Um, so this is probably the scene with one of the best effects, right? Is when she shoves an entire sandwich into her mouth. Yes. <laughs> Which, that's just it's, radically impressive. It, the, that whole scene makes me physically ill to watch <laughs> because she's like eating a sandwich and then chugging it down with like milk and everything's dripping down her like throat and her mouth. And it just, she's not eating flesh, but it's just as disgusting. Yeah. I'd probably say it's more disgusting. Yeah. Because at least with flesh, like, at no point in this movie do we ever see them jam, like, an entire person into their mouth. No, but she does. Or a whole limb. But she's just like, give me a fucking shovel. A whole Italian hoagie. She just shoves it into her mouth. (laughs) Um, In another house across the street, Roddy and Sylvia Douglas finish their unsatisfying sexual intercourse. At which point, Roddy asks, have you ever considered an open marriage? Where Sylvia replies... Not something that makes sense, but just, oh my God, I'm so hungry. Well, she's been, she's starting to be taken over by yeah. the virus. Yeah. So she uh, can't have time for, for pleasantries and when all she wants to do is eat. Yeah. Um, so th- at this point, you know, we've, we've kind of met everybody. Um, and if you've been paying attention at all, you've been able to kind of piece together who goes with who and who's been fucking who and who wants to fuck whom. Um, but this is where the movie starts to get a little, uh, more to the point. Yes. Yeah. The first half an hour of this movie is just kind of meet all of these people in this town in this very boring (laughs) meet. Welcome to Trenton, New Jersey. (laughs) Welcome to Trenton, New Jersey, (laughs) where none of the mothers look like the lady on the cover of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so Clyde goes back to visit, uh, Lois who the last time we saw was eating a ridiculous amount of food. 
Uh, he walks in and she's chewing on the severed arm of their son, Billy. Uh, baseball mitt still who, attached. Yeah, baseball <laughs> mitt still on the hand. Uh, Clyde freaks out, stumbles backwards in a blood-spattered apartment. Uh, Lois kind of turns to attack him. He pulls out his gun and shoots, killing her. Uh, cops show up. They, of course, obviously don't believe. Why would your wife be eating your son's fucking arm? But no one thinks to like look inside her mouth. Except yeah, for no, the nobody. Yeah, nobody's like maybe we should actually investigate. Um, so they arrest him. They take him downtown. Uh, and yeah, he he gets arrested, and we don't see him for a little bit. But we'll come back to we'll come back to Clyde in a little back while. Back to you, Clyde. Uh, next, we go back to Roddy Douglas, who is in a uh, clinic. Wonder why. Did you um, notice in the clinic it has handwritten signs about venereal diseases? Yeah, like written by the fucking director's kid or like drawn it's, by the director's kid or something. This is out of all of the scenes, <laughs> like out of all the sets in this movie, this one's probably the worst. Yeah. So it's just a wood paneled room that looks like it was shot in someone's basement from the 80s. Uh, it The room looked suspiciously like my parents' old house. Right. With the handwritten signs about... Is it chlamydia? I can't remember exactly which disease. It's just VD, I think. Is, is it? it just VD? Yeah, I think it's just VD. Just venereal <laughs> disease. Um, he's meeting with Dr. Bass. Uh, Dr. Bass's nurse, Felicia Dodd, who... Imagine Jessica Rabbit as yes. a nurse. Yes. For whatever fucking reason, I mm-hmm. guess, is the only comparison that I can think of. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Well, she she says there's something strange about Mr. Douglas's test, but uh, Dr. Bass is dismissive, saying that if he doesn't have gonorrhea or syphilis, then he doesn't care. Great job, doctor. You're, you're trending New Jersey, man. That's just a beacon <laughs> of health care. Uh, so this time, actually jogging home, uh, Roddy Douglas comes across Mrs. Nathan, who's recently been beaten. Uh, he acts very sympathetic for a few minutes before uh, trying to get a new mom into bed with him. Yeah, so that's... Because he's banged everybody else in Trenton. He has. So, he yeah, he pretends to care for a second and then really is just wanting to have sex with her as well. Yeah, he's like, well, while well, I'm out for a jog. He's such an off-putting man. He really is. Uh, so, at this point, we come back to Clyde, who's escaped from police custody, and goes to see his friend, the medical examiner, Dr. Gruley, who frees him from his handcuffs and corroborates his story because he's the only person who has actually done his job properly in this town. You know, I've investigated your wife. You weren't lying. We found bits and pieces of your son and maybe bits and pieces of a leather baseball mitt in, in her mouth, in her mouth and or stomach. Right. Um, so, yeah, what you said makes sense. Um, and no one seems very shocked by this. Yeah, They're not just... at all. <laughs> um, we see Mrs. Douglas standing over her infant child or I guess toddler uh, looking super famished. She picks him up uh, and embraces him, kissing him on the forehead, which then turns into her chewing on his ear. Uh, Linda arrives home uh, and finds her crouching over the baby brother's body, blood stained all over her mouth, where Linda runs into a blind panic into the street, running into Joyce, who's watching as her mother eats the weird fucking mountain of food. So all of this stuff is happening kind of at the same time. Right. Which makes it a little more difficult to follow kind of how this works, because we see each scene independently, and then they kind of go back to the scenes without showing them, and it's like... All of the kids are seeing this happen at the same time. Yes. Um, so all the mothers are simultaneously eating their children at the same time. Yeah. Um, but Joyce is trying to talk to her mom about the big women's coalition's club dinner uh, where, you know, all the moms are going to be there and you get to meet my boyfriend, Frankie. 
What uh, he's doing at the Women's Coalition dinner, I don't know. They have no idea. He doesn't look like he has any interest in being there. <laughs> uh, so in the process of running away from her house, Linda runs into her dad, who's making out with another neighborhood mom, uh, and then you know runs into Jeff Nathan, who, though they're at first hesitant, uh, they share their terrible secrets, where... I don't think it's explicitly supposed to be a joint, but I'm pretty sure it's a joint. No, I think it is because that's why she laughs so much, okay. right? It's because she's got super. She, they're, excuse me, they're both high as shit. Yeah, that's, and, and that's of, what I figured. Yeah, and instead of having this like real honest, shocking conversation, they're both just laughing. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably one of the best scenes of the it movie. It is a great scene because <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. You know, you got some shit to talk about, but you don't really know if you want to talk about it. So have a little weed. And talk about it and then laugh and then realize that, like... How fucked up it is. It's super fucked up. So you get that great moment of, like, just that super high laughter and then that sobering reality just kicks in and snaps him out of it immediately. That your mom is eating your brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. I mean, uh, I love my mom, but I feel like it wouldn't take me half an hour to get out that she's been eating my brother. Yeah. So Jeff tells <laughs> Jeff tells Linda about, you know, his dad being a, an abusive prick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Linda's like... Well, I see your abusive dad and raise you my flesh-eating mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I win. I was at home and she was eating my baby brother. Uh, where he starts to laugh because weed is dope. Um, and doesn't believe her. Uh, which makes Linda think the cops aren't going to believe her either. Right. I mean. And at this point, she'd be correct. The cops right. haven't believed shit about anything. They show no interest in believing literally anyone in this town. Yeah. So the bumbling cop trope yeah. is strong with this yeah, 80s like, film. We've got Keystone Cops in Trenton, New Jersey, and the kids all come up with this brilliant plan right here where instead of doing anything about it, eh, fuck it, we're just going to run away. Yeah. Um, so Any excuse to leave Trenton, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they make their plans to run away. Jeff's going to bring his mom so they can escape the abuse of dad. And the decision is we're going to meet at the basketball courts. Tonight. That's a great place to meet. It's a great place to meet. Basketball courts are great for running away, yep. drug deals, yep. and under a, or like teenage sex. On the basketball court? Or near the basketball near court. The ba- near the good, basketball court. It's courts. a good landmarker for all things debaucherous. Yes. In your teens. Yes. And Especially in a place like Trenton, New Jersey. Yeah. But I'm sorry for anyone who lives in Trenton, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is where we come back to Alex's favorite character, Rinaldi. Oh my gosh. The um, only reason, the only reason to watch this movie is not... If anything, just for Rinaldi. Honestly, it's just for this scene. Yes. He is so wildly dumb. <laughs> and it's so fucking good. So Rinaldi gets called down to his uh, dinner from his room. He's still in his bedroom. Smoking um, freaking Marble Reds. Because mom has made Rinaldi his favorite meal. Mm. Mashed potatoes. <laughs> Mashed potatoes are Rinaldi's favorite meal. I, You know, I, I Rinaldi and I have that in common. No, nothing, <laughs> nothing with the mashed potatoes. No. Just just a big ass bowl of mashed potatoes. Um, and this time they're extra they're extra creamy. It's like a potato soup uh, because she's dumped like a gallon and a half of milk into him, and she's making and him drink glasses of milk with it. Right. And he's wolfing this shit down. Okay, mom, I'll have another glass of milk. Um, while he's eating his potato soup and drinking his milk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his mom's telling him about how veal is made, and Rinaldi, bless his fucking dumb, dumb Italian heart, ass heart, is like, "Oh, you made veal too? <laughs> like at this point, we're starting to talk about a real meal." No, no, she's just saying veal is made by ca- uh, trapping calves in very small pens, and they're only fed with milk. Right, so they're nice and tender. Nice and tender, very supple. Um, and at this point, she keeps just feeding glass after glass of milk. Uh, and you know, he just keeps wondering where, where's the veal? 
Like, these potatoes are great, Ma. I mean, it's his favorite meal. Why does he keep asking for other things? Yeah. I don't don't know why you need anything else if you got potato soup. Um, She takes a big bite out of his forehead, and he's able to break free and leave the house. Uh, Jeff, meanwhile, sneaks back into his bedroom and hears his parents yelling at each other again. But this time, when Mr. Nathan swings at his wife, she stops his fist with a new incredible strength. The, the typical punch thrown, caught it, and then... With her mouth? Yeah, I think she did catch it. She bit into it, right? Yeah, so this is another one of those A-plus special effects. <laughs> yeah, so in, instead of the typical, like, caught it with a hand, and then you hear the, like, other person's hand breaking, it's catch it with the mouth, and then you hear the... The, the apple crunch. The apple crunch. Um, her face morphs and she bites into her husband's arm. Um, and at the same time, Miss Nolan is somewhere across town just eating Timmy's younger brother. (laughs) No one really talks too much about that. It just kind of... Yeah, it just happens. Timmy just gets eaten. Uh, Or Timmy's younger brother, rather. So Jeff jumps out the window and runs into Rinaldi, who's covered his forehead wound with a uh, pretty dope fucking bandana. He's looking... uh, He's just gone full... Like, I, I know this is like a... Uh, technically an epithet, but he's just gone full on Guido. Yeah, yeah. He's really embracing his name. Yeah. He's like, my name's Rinaldi. I'm Italian as fuck. I like mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes and veal. Uh, I've got this dope bandana. I'm going to find a fucking jacket and I'm going to go fuck off and become a good fella. Yep. Um, so and we're th- here for it. So they, they both casually share their experiences yes. with like, yeah, my mom was eating my dad and oh yeah, my mom tried to eat me. That's one of the things that stands out to me the most about this movie is that throughout the entire film, whenever someone brings out that their mother is eating someone, it, no one seems to be shocked by it. No, it's super casual. They're just like, like, oh, yeah, my mom ate my brother. And I was like, oh, yeah. There's shit. nothing weird about this. There's no reason to panic. It's just like, I mean, yeah, my brother kind of sucked. My dad was an abusive dick. <laughs> right. But, I mean, that little toddler, he didn't deserve to get eaten. No. And shit, the kid with the baseball glove didn't deserve to get eaten. No, I mean, maybe he sucked to baseball. Maybe. Maybe. We, we don't tolerate losers in this household. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Rinaldi, uh, he gets kind of philosophical saying, I don't blame her, really. It's, uh, it's society's fault. It is. I don't know how you make that connection, uh, but he's trying. Uh, yeah. He's trying. Uh, so they get to the basketball court when Timmy shows up and talks about his mom's cannibalism, saying she's never done anything like that before. <laughs> no. <laughs> Two things here. <laughs> if she had done something like this before, mm. it would have been shocking then. Uh, yes, you would. one would think. And a cause for concern. By saying she's never done anything like that before, it should be more shocking now. Right? <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares. Nope, nobody cares. Like, oh, oh damn, well, that sucks. Yeah, sorry, sorry to hear about your home life. <laughs> <laughs> sorry your home life sucks. Uh, so we cut back to Dr. Greeley who's been studying the blood sample from Lois's body and has discovered something crazy alarming. Oh my God, the only person in this movie who cares. Yeah, the only person who actually has a job that they do. Uh, so what he what does he find out? Uh, sexually transmitted disease has been turning women into cannibals. Um, but before he can tell Clyde about it, the commissioner walks in and Clyde must hide in an evidence closet where Commissioner Dixon suspects Greeley helped Clyde escape but can't prove it um, and stands there kind of just ragging on Greeley. Uh, he takes Greeley's files on the blood sample. Uh, when Dixon leave, Clyde volunteers to retrieve him, and Gruley heads to the VD clinic with his blood sample. Mm-hmm. So he's going to go talk to Worthless Dr. Bass and Jessica Rabbit's doppelganger. Yep. Uh, 
So Dr. Bass doesn't want to hear anything about these findings. He kicks him out of the office. But Nurse Dodd overhears everything and reaches out to him before he leaves, saying that, uh, you know, what he's talking about is similar to the weird shit she saw that Dr. Bass also didn't want to mm-hmm. hear about because, uh, you know, Trenton doctors. Trenton, am I right? <laughs> Uh, she says she'll help him once he's done, or once she's done at the clinic. So like, meet she's meet busy. me when I get off. <laughs> oh mm. God, another one of those innuendos. Oh yeah. Uh, so then we cut back to we finally get to the women's coalition club mother daughter dinner, and uh, everybody's there. All the moms are there. Joyce and Linda's moms are busy treating the dinner like it was medieval times. <laughs> They're shoveling that just, shit. Yeah, in. just, oh, look at that fucking whole turkey. I don't need a turkey leg. I'm just going to jam the whole fucking thing into my mouth. Um, <laughs> Yum. You know, other moms look at them and say, ah, they're divorced. You know, they don't, they're just doing whatever they want. Uh, Joyce goes to introduce Frankie to her mom, but she's uh, apparently at this point run out of food on the buffet table and is right. trying to eating other moms. Uh, Which her daughter looks at as not shocking that she's eating other women but that it's just such an inconvenience when she's supposed to be meeting that's her embarrassing boyfriend. yeah she's it's em- em- oh mom how could how you, could you? <laughs> it's just embarrassing yeah which is like the the most bizarre fucking thing about this movie it's like everybody just views this as like another day in the neighborhood right like if you if you queued up like a curb your enthusiasm theme song at the end of half of these scenes it would fit just perfectly it would uh so joyce and frank run off and they hide in the bathroom uh, Joyce opens the door to see if the coast is clear and sees Rinaldi, who's also running away from shit. Uh, the other teens have hatched a plan where Timmy's going to stand outside his house and call for his mom. When she walks outside, Jeff's going to hit her with a baseball bat and Linda's going to wrap her in chains until they can figure out what the fuck is going on and do something about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've given up on their plan to run away. Um, they're going to handle this. Yeah, they're going to handle it. You know, it turns into like a teen empowerment. We're going to survive. We're going to fix this shit. Uh, but when push comes to shove, Timmy turns into a bitch, uh, warns his mom about the ambush, and everything falls apart. Boo! Uh, way to go, Timmy. You fucking suck. She should have eaten you and not your brother. <laughs> uh, we cut back to the club dinner where Rinaldi, Joyce, and Frank are running around. Uh, Frank leaves to go to the bathroom of Miss Douglas, who, at this point, the VD, for lack of a better term, has turned into like a full-fledged thing. And all of the moms that are infected end up looking like Jack Nicholson's Joker. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they have these very dark bags under their eyes. And their these skin big is like white. Creepy smiles. Yeah. Their um, mouths have extended. Yeah. <laughs> they they definitely come out come away looking like Jack Nicholson without the makeup. Um part of that is as the Joker, part of that's in real life. You're right. Um so she comes up and Rinaldi hits her and just knocks her out cold. Uh they think. They, uh so they think. So as they try to step over her. Uh, she comes to and grabs Frank, um, where Frank's leg gets pulled down and he gets dragged around the corner to be eaten alive. Joyce and Rolney keep going to join the rest of the friends at the basketball courts. And meanwhile, Gruley and Dodd are working on a cure where they discover that the disease is sexually transmitted. It only affects women and only women who have had children. That's right. But not men. So it's not all women. No. It's no men. So... If you've had a kid, this can happen to you. So watch out, Alex. Oh, that's right. I'm a prime target. You are a prime. You are a absolute prime target. I right mean, now. you know, Roddy is a pretty desirable looking man. Should he, he come knocking on my and, door? And you right now, you know, you're at home with the baby. Uh huh. You're there by yourself. Yep. Ben's off doing whatever Ben's doing. 
He says he's working. But... He says he's working. He could be out jogging. <laughs> he could. He could be. Yeah. So does that is Ben your Roddy? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Watch out! Watch out! Poor, poor little snack. Uh, so Clyde McDormick has gotten the file from the commissioner's office and shows up at the basketball courts and runs into the kids where they update each other on what's going on. Clyde says that the medical examiner is working on a cure and warns them that the cops can't be trusted. Uh, which makes sense, because at this point, heretofore unseen, Officer Hitchcock shows up uh, and has a standoff with them and shoots Clyde dead. He's bad news bears, that guy. Yep. He knows something. Yeah, he's up to something. Uh, the teenagers run off, realizing they can't trust anybody, and they have to handle this themselves officially. No more of this chickening out bullshit like Timmy. No. Nope. We gotta deal with it. Uh, saying, we are all responsible for our own mother's actions. That's a, another good Rinaldi line. Yes, it is. Just crushing it, this movie. <laughs> He's the best. He's the best. <laughs> uh, Jeff, meanwhile, wants to see if Dr. Gurley's cure works. Uh, but Timmy isn't willing to wait. Storming off to kill his own mom after everything kind of fell apart. Uh... The other teenagers meet up with Gruley and Nurse Dodd and say that Clyde McDormick has died, but uh, before he was shot, he told them about what was going on, that Dixon's wife had the virus. Uh, Gruley confronts Commissioner Dixon with this new information, and Dixon believes a disease can't be stopped, saying that the cannibal pandemic is punishment for his and Clyde's adultery. I didn't realize Trenton, New Jersey was such a religious province. I had no idea. Um... Gruley threatens to go to the papers with the real story of Dixon's wife and the flesh-eating mothers. When he leaves in a huff, Dixon calls his lackey, Officer Hitchcock, and tells him to take care of the coroner, just like he did the last one. <laughs> so now we know what Officer Hitchcock is for. He's yes. just there to kill people and keep them quiet. Yep. And, uh, you know, be Dixon's actual right-hand man. Absolutely. Because Dixon doesn't have a right hand. <laughs> Although I think it's his left. I When I'm looking at him, I feel like it's I his left. I think it's his left. Yeah. Um... So Hitchcock tries it. He aims his gun at Gruley as he's leaving the commissioner's office, but he's attacked by the three moms and is slowly torn to pieces. Uh, Gruley turns around hearing a bunch of nonsense, but can't actually see anything. Timmy sees all this shit happen from the bushes and waits until the moms leave and retrieves Hitchcock's gun. Uh, Felicia Dodd synthesizes the cure and gives one syringe of the cure to each teenager. We see this happen all the time. We do. If you've got enough time, because there's what four of them, right? There's four kids. There's yes. Um, so if you got enough time to make four, just just double the batch, double the batch, make eight. <laughs> Somebody's gonna fucking lose it. Somebody's gonna accidentally inject themselves. Somebody's just gonna fucking die and not make it. So you're down to one syringe. Yeah, just you got gotta have extras. Make more. Make more. I only make what you need. Yeah, if you had time to make four, you can't tell me you didn't have time to make eight. Um, so meanwhile, the commissioner assembles the whole police force and tells them there are cannibals loose in the city and grants them a permission to shoot and kill. Take the mothers down. Timmy stalks his mom and Mrs. Douglas, who talk about things like accidentally leaving the iron on and, uh, retail sales when they're not eating people. Mm. Uh, Linda and Jeff find Miss Nathan and Miss Vivaldo rooting through the garbage for food, uh, at which point I think they rip a cat in half to eat Yes, it. that's... <laughs> um, yeah, I... I don't like that, but I, I don't like seeing animals get fucking killed. That happens in another movie that I'm watching right now, Amy, uh, okay. where like she picks up a cat and you see her like start to strangle it to death. Uh, and then the other one I was telling you about that I watched, The Silence, uh-huh. like 
they they have a dog that starts barking and you can't make noise so they let the dog out and you know the dog's gonna die right uh this is sad to see i don't like seeing that stuff i mean yeah but i get it it doesn't look real it doesn't look real um it's just the noise it's really the noise the the screeching cats um linda shows up distracts mrs v uh, mrs vivaldi uh by punching her in the face yeah and jeff shows up behind his mom and injects a needle into her ass right in the butt (laughs) right in the butt it's a good it's a good it's fleshy, a good stab yeah um which makes me wonder are is this like anti-steroids it's not, it's isn't that like, the whole thing with steroids you inject it in the butt i don't know i feel like it's they're giving them penicillin <laughs> uh so timmy sees timmy sees the cat get ripped in half trains the the gun on his mom but dr gruley shows up lifts the gun and squeezes around off into the air uh and gives timmy the needle who also injects his mom in the butt Yes. So everyone's just getting needles in the butt. Needles in the butt. Needles in the butt. So jogging and butt needles. That, that's what we jogging got. Jogging and butt needles. And veal. And veal. And mashed potatoes. So, what, so far what this movie sounds like is if you want to be an Olympic runner, you got to inject steroids into your butt and mm-hmm. eat potatoes and veal. Okay. I feel like that's where we're headed. That's, what's, that's what you got to do to live in Trent, New Jersey. Yeah. Um, so Linda runs into Joyce and Rinaldi. Rinaldi ends up injecting his mom. Uh, and so at this point, all of the moms are all injected, but nothing happens. They still wander around looking like Jack Nicholson and uh, talking about mom stuff. The teens all hear gunshots hop into a car to go to where the sound came from, uh, where the police, we see, still have orders to shoot and kill everybody. Uh, Commissioner Dixon comes across everybody, pulls his car over, pulls his gun out, but another mom pulls the gun away from him. And he escapes to run to a phone booth where he's surrounded. And uh, I think that's when the cops all show up. Yep. Cops all show up who block off the alley and aim their guns. And the teenagers all arrive to run and act as human shields. Don't shoot my mom. Please don't shoot my mom. I love my mom. I know she ate my sibling. Yeah. But I forgive her. She's still my mom. I don't know that I would forgive my mother if she ate my brother. I mean, I know she bit me on the forehead, but she makes really good mashed potatoes. She does make some good. I mean, those didn't even look that good, though. No. Because it's potato soup. Which I like baked potato soup, but yeah, but this is but when I said potatoes, it's like a porridge. Yeah, it looks like like grits, but but not but potato grits. It's it's that weird fine line of like how much liquid can you add to a solid mm-hmm. before it actually becomes more liquid than solid. Like right, I like, feel like if you this could be used as like paste. Yeah, like you could papier mâché something yeah, with it. Absolutely. Um, Dixon tells the cops to shoot the kids, too. He's, yes. He wants to keep the shit under wraps. Yeah. I mean, he honestly, he he's just as bad, if not worse, than the mothers. Well, when you listen to him and you find out everything going on, you know, his wife had this shit. He killed her and he's been keeping it under wraps. Yes. Everything else kind of starts to make sense about why nobody in this town seems to do a good job because they all listen to him. Right. And he's the reason that this is happening, right? So he's more to blame than the women. Yeah. But they are, you know, adulterers, so. Well, so the, the <laughs> I, I guess it begs a question. I, I guess you assume at this point that Roddy fucked Dixon's wife at yeah. some point. Yes. Okay. I would assume so. Um, Gruley and Dodd show up. Uh, and Gruley gets him to confess that he knew about this disease before. And that he killed the previous coroner. So Gruley's not the first one to come on to this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The previous guy got too close and had to be taken out. <laughs> taken out. Uh, the mothers, as a mother does, and Alex, as you will, as a new mother, uh-huh, yep. uh, 
they start to get these really bad migraines. Mm. <laughs> um, I thought that was just a hangover. <laughs> eh, one, one and the same. Uh, so it seems like the cure is starting to take effect. Their faces slowly return to normal and their hunger for flesh subsides. The teens and moms embrace and the police have no fucking idea what to do. But maybe for once in the last, I don't know, however many years do their job and they arrest Dixon. Um, Dodd reveals to Gruley the cure is simple penicillin. That's all it is. Which, and correct- Which begs a question. Does Nurse Dodd think she just invented penicillin? Yes. And then also, uh, I don't believe that antibiotics fight viruses. No, they don't. They absolutely don't. My wife had viral strep two weeks ago. Yeah, I feel like... The doctors are like, "Mm, sorry. There's nothing you can do for a virus. It's only for bacteria, right? Yeah. So... (laughs) But is this a virus? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, I think they said it was a virus. Does, would you trust anybody in this town if they told you one thing? No. <laughs> I would automatically assume that it's the I opposite. would eat their veal parmesan and that's about it. Yeah. But I feel like in that scene, the STD checkup scene, it says that it's a virus. Okay. Or some, some either the mortician or the lady doctor says it's a virus. Okay. Um, so we think this is the end of the movie and then there's a, a real quick prologue where we get to see Roddy Douglas... Back in bed with Booty, mm. talking about his favorite thing. Let's have an open marriage. Yep. You know, you have an open marriage. I'll have an open marriage, and we can all just we can all just fuck whoever we want. We can go jogging in the morning. We can go jogging in the afternoon. You want to go jogging at two a.m.? We can fucking do it. I don't know if it's just because I'm a new mom, but like that sounds like way too many times to go jogging for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just exhausted thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Booty cuddles up with Roddy, and then uh, tears off his nose and part of his face. Good. Um, fuck Roddy because Booty didn't have a kid to give her a nice injection in the butt that's right no one no penicillin for her but but then I thought it doesn't work if I thought that only did she eat her kid is that why she didn't have anyone to inject I her I think in the butt? she did I think so she is a mother yeah but she, she just... she's has she has to have had a kid at some point okay but she ate her baby yeah or maybe he's away in co- at, you know, college yeah maybe maybe he got out of he went Trenton. to Cornell or something yeah <laughs> uh, so that's <laughs> That's, that's the, this movie. That's the convoluted synopsis this, of this very convoluted movie. And you know what? Reading this somehow makes more sense than watching it. You know, that's that makes sense. And it, it's very bizarre. Um, so, I don't know. Palmer wanted to know if this was a commentary on the meat industry in America. The I meat guess, industry? Like... I guess because of the whole conversation uh, with Vivaldi about uh, Rinaldi about veal. Okay. Um, I don't think that the people who wrote this movie are that deep at all. I don't think so either. I personally thought that this was the '80s version of It Follows, but for like really sad, unhappy adults. Yeah. So that's if it was going to be any underlying themes, I think that's what it would be, right? Is because there is at one point they sort of talk about how this is happening because God is upset that they're. You know, Trent, New Jersey has all of these adulterers. Yeah. So if if there's any sort of quote unquote subtle themes, I feel like that's what it would be. Yeah. So like, <laughs> he's at a loss for words. Yeah, because the the commissioner thinks that you know this disease is divine punishment for his infidelity. That's right. Okay. Or just general infidelity because he's not the. Uh, 
he says his infidelity, which means he's been stepping out on his wife. Right. But his wife had to have gotten it from somebody else, which means she was stepping out too. Or unless he was... No. Or unless he caught it from somebody else and or, then gave it to his wife. Or perhaps men are kind of like uh, HPV, right? So men can be yeah. carriers with, but show no symptoms, whereas women are the only ones where the symptoms sort of like, you know, you can actually see them. Yeah. So maybe it is HPV all of, before anybody really knew what it was. Right. Look at that. Look so if any, just ahead of its time. So if anything, I think that this movie would be, you know, talking about safe sex. Yeah, it absolutely and is. And venereal diseases. It absolutely is. So like, Alex thinks this movie should be added to every uh, <laughs> yeah, sex ed class in America. That's right. You're going to watch The Miracle of Life, and then you're going to want to watch Flesh Eating Mothers. Because not only does it talk about, you know, STDs and, and VD and how you should always be wearing a condom if you're having sex with, you know, people. And then also number two is being a mother, yeah. right? If you don't want to have a baby, you should also be wearing a condom. Yeah. Be safe, people. Yeah. Be safe. Be safe. If you're going to step out, be safe. If you're going to hook up with a guy like Roddy, then you should probably be wearing a condom. Yeah. If somebody talks to you that much about jogging, mm. wrap it twice. Well, spe- well, no, that does not work. Do not <laughs> listen to Sam. That is. <laughs> no, one for him, one for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> like a dental dam? Yeah, just double up to be extra safe. <laughs> I was going to say, does that work against each other? Kind of like wearing two condoms if mm. one... The guy was wearing... The whole thing with two condoms is you put two condoms on, they're going to the break. Friction. Yeah, the friction makes them break. But the friction between the dental dam and mm. the... I've never actually seen a dental dam in Or get life. an IUD or be on the pill well, or something. Well, and I... Those don't stop you from getting STDs. That's true. You got to get an IUD, IUD and and a condom. That's true. See? The, the more you know. The things yeah. you learn. Didn't you pay attention in health class? <laughs> <laughs> I would have if they showed us this movie. Thank you. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> so... I, I do have one just, like, burning question about this movie. That okay. As soon as I turned it off, I was like, this is the thing that doesn't make sense. <laughs> this Roddy, one? so all the women in this movie, they're either single, they're divorced. Okay. Uh, with the exception of Roddy's wife. And? And, and Booty. Because Booty's married well, no, well. that one woman is married to her abusive husband. Okay, yeah. So... All of the women in this movie are being treated horribly from pretty much from Jump Street. Yes. All of the women turn into these flesh-eating mothers. Mm-hmm. These Jack Nicholson cannibals. Mm-hmm. Because the men in this movie are all awful people. Right. They're either drunk and abusive. They're adulterers. They're not there for mm-hmm. whatever reason. They're Chief Dixon, who's a giant piece of shit. Right. Why is it that... It's the kids that end up getting punished mm. instead of the men. Because like, to me, it would, make, it would have made more sense if the women like, turned on like, either all of the men right. or just the men responsible. So like flesh-eating wives as opposed yeah. to flesh-eating mothers. So growing up, I had this hamster, right, who gave, who gave birth in, I think, unsuitable living conditions. Mm-hmm. And they do the same thing when I worked at PetSmart. And when Hamsters the, do eat their kids. And when they feel like they're not going to be able to properly rear these children, they eat them. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. Okay. You know, mammals, when they don't feel like they can properly take care of their offspring because of these really shoddy living environments that they're living in, then they eat their offspring as a sort of defense mechanism for themselves and also for their offspring. Yeah. Because the only... This movie's actually super deep, you guys. The only, the only <laughs> like, adult men that get attacked are the abusive husband when he throws a punch. Yep. And then Dixon, when he's 
trapped in the phone booth and they're all trying to beat it down. Yes. And they're, they're you know, on the verge of ripping him to shreds. Right. Um, you know, they had no qualms whatsoever. But, I mean, strangely, they, they eat other moms, too. They do. Well, and you it's... just never see them eating any of the adult men. Yeah. Which is just a very weird thing to have in a movie where, like, the cause for all of this is shitty adult guys. Yeah. Well, it was probably, I mean, it was written, directed, and produced by adult. Shitty adult guys. Maybe they're shitty adult guys. <laughs> Do you think part of this is like a fever dreamish autobiography? For the director? Yeah. Mm. Maybe he thinks, maybe, maybe James Martin thinks that his wife is going to eat his kids. Okay. And he's maybe not been the best husband. Maybe. He's he's dealing with some internal guilt, perhaps. Yeah. Because, you know, the more we talk about this movie, the more I'm seeing, like, a lot of internal themes. Internal themes? <laughs> or not for him. Okay. The director. Not me. Not, not relating to you. No. Okay. Unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but fortunately, I have not thought about eating my kid yet. Not yet. Not yet. But he is tender like veal. He is. He's been marinating for nine months. And literally all he eats is milk, so. Yeah. <laughs> You you've got yourself a little a little veal meal at home. A veal meal. Veal meal. I, All you got to do is make the potatoes. Oh, I can make some good mashed potatoes. You can make too. some good mashed potatoes. <laughs> Thanksgiving's coming up. Maybe I'll just wait. <laughs> and you know, and not to talk about my kid too much, but like he looks like he would taste good. He's just all roly poly. I believe it. Yeah. He wouldn't be able to put up much of a fight either. Oh no. I, you know, that's really funny. I look at him all the time and be like, I could just like crush you with my hands. <laughs> I look at him. And I'm like, you're completely fucked on your own. <laughs> right. It's so weird. I'm like, you're totally dependent on me. Hope I don't eat you. <laughs> Can't wait to play this episode for him in like 15 years. When yep. He's just like, fuck you, mom. Fuck you, mom. No, he's never going to say that. But no, this movie is, the acting is atrocious. Oh my God. The set is terrible. Yep. The script is bananas. <laughs> it tries to Patchwork, be Patchwork, I think is a good <laughs> word for it. So there's the synopsis on, I believe it's IMDb, and I think it sums it up really well. For some strange reason, never explained, a few of the local PTA-going moms suddenly turn on their offspring. For much of the film, they walk around town looking mutated and making unfunny wisecracks. <laughs> I feel like that sums it up. Yep. Yep. Quite that generously. Sounds about right. Like, this, this movie is such a bizarre, one-off, relatively unknown movie. Yes. It only has a Wikipedia page in Spanish. <laughs> yep. And I think besides... And it's just the cast. Right. And I think besides one, if not maybe two of the actors in this movie have gone on to do other things where literally the rest of that extensive cast, that's the only thing they've done. Yeah. So it really seems like it's... I, I'm, I don't... There's not a ton of information about how much this movie costs to make, mm -mm. like a lot about the director, but some like how old he was when he made this movie. But something leads me to believe that he was kind of young and this was a labor of love for him. Oh, yeah. Right. Because the sound is garbage. Everything is garbage. <laughs> and every bite sounds the same. And every it's bite. This, like they just they took one shot of somebody biting into an apple with a microphone pretty much in their fucking mouth. Mm -hmm. And they're like, anytime a flesh eating mother bites into something, this is the sound we're going to play. Right. Just press that button. Call it a day. It gives me this movie gives me the illusion of 70s porn without 
any without of, the porn. Without the porn. Yeah. Right. So the dialogue and the set. Even the way the people look. Yes. They, it all seems like you're about to watch. Like it's like you're about to watch a '70s porn. But there's never any bush. Yeah, the porn never comes. The porn never comes. The bush never comes. There's no breasts. Which is shocking right. for an 80s movie. Yeah. So, and also, I feel like, I don't know if maybe you and I were just talking about this before the cast started. This film, it says it, it so it came out in 1988. But I feel like I read somewhere, or maybe I'm just making this up, but I, I think it was shot in the early, early 80s. Yeah. And they had a lot of trouble finding somebody to distribute this movie. One, because it's not very good, and two, because of the content matter. I don't know what you're talking about when you say it's not very good. This movie's incredible. <laughs> no, I think this movie is amazing, but it's, it's almost like there are movies that are good because they're bad, and then there is this movie that is that times 100. <laughs> so the closest thing that I can compare it to of something that we've reviewed is okay. Bad Taste. Yes. Where you know it's low budget. Uh-huh. You know that it's you know, self-shot, you know that most of the stuff that happens in the movie was probably made in some person's garage. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they probably figured out how to rip a cat in half in their backyard or some shit. Right. Without actually ripping a cat in half. Um, The difference is one of the directors is (laughs) Martin James. Who? (laughs) Or James Martin. Sorry. See? Exactly. One of the one of the one of the directors is James Avilis Martin. And the other one turned into fucking Peter Jackson. The other one is fucking Peter Jackson. <laughs> so like it, it's weird because you there there are similar parallels because bad taste also jumps around quite a bit. Yeah. Not quite as much. Like the first no. the first twenty minutes of bad taste jumps around almost as much as this does. Right, but then the plot does become a bit more succinct. And it it focuses. This movie never at any point focuses because it's introduced way too many fucking characters. Bad Taste at most is what, like eight characters that matter? Main characters that matter, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. And this one tries to make every character matter when it really should have just focused on, honestly, Rinaldi, Roddy, Gruley, and pick one. Pick one, maybe Linda or something. The, was she the blonde one? Yeah, the main daughter. Yes, just because she's the best worst actor in the whole world. Yeah, like Gruley and Nurse Dodd walk off into the sunset together, and Gruley's yeah. like five foot two, mm-hmm. and she, of course, being Jessica Rabbit, is like six foot six. Yes, and it's just like he's resting his head on her hip as they turn around the corner. <laughs> it's kind of like me standing next to Palmer's wife when she's wearing heels. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> like. And so it's weird to think of it in that light because it very much is just like bad taste is not a good movie by any means, but like you can see what Peter Jackson was trying to do. And people like it. And people like it because it's, it's goofy, it's fun, and it really is at the end of the movie out of this world outlandish. Absolutely. This never really gets there at any point. I think that the one, there are one or two very endearing things about this movie and I think that the attempt at the gore and special effects, I would put my hands up for that. Yeah, they don't. You I'll t- give them. Some, I'll I'll give them props for that. Yeah, they tried they, some stuff. They did. They went. They they tried some stuff. They didn't have the budget for it. It I would I would assume the giant gaping mouth. Yeah, but the cost, like you know, makeup, special effects. I think they did a really good job. <laughs> yeah, and um, I mean, setting up this kind of small town environment, I think that you really do get that. Mm-hmm. 
whether it be Trent, New Jersey. Some people think it's from the Midwest. I don't see how you have someone named Rinaldi. No. <laughs> it's Rinaldi obvious, only lives on the East it's Coast. It's obviously an East Coast movie. Yeah. Someone said that it was in the Midwest, and I was like, ew, no, no that's completely Rinaldi wrong. only lives on the East Coast. This is clearly New Jersey. I, I would like to meet anyone who's met anybody named Rinaldi outside of, like, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia. Yeah. And, like, Philadelphia, I feel like, is a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> And I, that's, I would, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> like it, yeah, as, as you said, I mean, the, the effects are where they, they shot their shot. Yeah. Um, the writing, I feel like gets weaker and weaker as the movie progresses. So it's, I, it's good in the middle there for a little bit. I feel like he wrote, he had an idea. Yeah. And he wrote it out and he started writing it and it got to a point where he's just like, I have no fucking clues here. And I was just like, yeah, penicillin. Yeah. Penicillin secure. And we, we invented it. We made this. We made this here in Trenton, New Jersey. But we only we only invented enough penicillin four. for four doses. <laughs> just four people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like it starts off kind of weak, but understandably, because he's trying to introduce too many characters. It gets a little bit stronger in the middle. Yeah. And then it really, it really does not end in a, in a, in a. In a great way. No, not at all. They do rip up a cat, which is kind of funny. Yeah, they rip up the cat. Um, They're like, fight over it. Roddy gets his face ripped off, which is always fun to see. Yep. Um, I do appreciate that they did like older teenagers, like high school seniors. Oh, who are clearly like 40 years yeah. old. <laughs> um, because I remember the one time I ran away from home. Mm-hmm. I was gone for 33 hours. Okay. I remember the times that my sister ran away from home. I think the longest she was ever gone was like three days because she just went to stay at a friend's house. Right. Um, at any point, neither, like, none of us that, when we did it, were over the age of, like, 15. No. Uh, but, like, these kids, they're old enough to drive. They're old enough to smoke. This is the 80s. They're old enough to drink. Yep. Um, they they talk about running away. We're meeting at the basketball courts. We're fucking out of here. With them, I'd buy it. They're, yeah. They're just, peace out, Trenton. We're they finally getting the fuck leave. out of here. Yeah, they're like, oh, And honestly, honey. it's Trenton. What are you leaving behind? Uh, population of 80,000. The capital of New Jersey. <laughs> I don't know much else about Trenton. The fact that you know those two things is actually pretty decent. <laughs> did you know it was the capital of New Jersey? Uh, I did know that. I didn't know the population. <laughs> it's smaller than I thought. It is pretty small for like a state capital. Yes. Uh, but that's really all I got for this that, one. Yeah, there's, I don't have a ton. There's not a lot to say about this movie. There's really not. If you're into it's 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 not long, obviously. No, it's really it's not. An, it's, it's an hour and a half. Is it even that long? It's an hour and twenty nine minutes. Okay. So if you have an hour and twenty nine minutes to spare, and three ninety nine to rent it on Amazon, and you're ready, f- I would re- I would recommend getting drunk. This movie is available for free somewhere. Is it? Oh, I didn't think it was. I but. did. I watched it for free somewhere. I don't remember where. Oh, like one two three movies or something like that. No, I think it was on like an actual site. Oh. Well, there you go. You don't even have to. Oh, you know what? I did watch it for free also. No, it is currently available for free on Amazon. Oh, okay. Yeah. You don't even have to pay for it. There you go. Um, and this is the perfect movie to put on in the background and just look up every minute or two. Yeah. Check in. You could be in the kitchen making a nice veal parmesan. Yes. And put this on, drinking some wine. You trying to impress some people for the holidays? Yeah. Getting a little toasty. It'll be funnier if you're drunk. Yeah. Making some veal parmesan. Put this on. Absolutely. Bring over your friend. 
mash, some mashed potatoes, parmesan, veal yeah. parmesan, drink some milk. White Russians go well with this. Ew. What's wrong with the white Russian? <laughs> I don't know. I just can't. I can't get behind dairy in my in my alcoholic beverages. <laughs> All right. What are what are we rating this out of? Um. I have Palmer's score here. Milk as well. steaks. Milk steaks. Oh. <laughs> have you ever had a milk steak? No, is that a real thing? It's a real thing. Ew, that is not just something That's they made up on. That's not a Charlie Day thing? No, that is not just a Charlie Day thing. There is actually a place in San Francisco in Union Square uh, that is like apparently world famous. Because, it's actually steak because of the cooked milk in milk? Yeah, you boil it in fucking milk. It's awful. Ew. I mean, I've had like steak with like a country fried gravy on it but not a steak that's cooked in milk hold on i'm gonna look this up Blech. i can't remember the name of this but fucking place it does not come with jelly beans i assume <laughs> that part i don't know no that would be crazy uh where is this fucking place Milks. i'm looking at milk steak san francisco that's what i'm looking up to i can't remember the name of this place but no there there's a place there that like they they do milk steak and it's Oh my god! All right, Ugh. well that, that sounds gross as fuck. All right, so uh, Alex, how many milk steaks are you giving this? Okay, um, this is difficult for me. You can do it. This is one of the few movies that I will say. You know, usually I give my ratings out of like, is it a good movie versus a bad movie, not based on my enjoyment. This one, go either way. Go with your heart on I'm going to go with my heart and give it a two and a half milk steaks. 2.5 milk steaks. Because I find it extremely enjoyable to watch. Okay. I'm going to give this a two. Oh, that's much higher than I thought you were going to. It, had we actually done this episode last week, it would not have been a two. Okay, so, so you've had some time to marinate I've in the I've had some time to marinate in the milk. <laughs> this movie's really dumb. It's, it's so really dumb. bad. It's so dumb. But this movie, oh God, it's fun. It's hilarious. This movie's fucking fun. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, you've, you've you've watched enough shit. You've had enough shit going on. You just need something pointless and stupid just to put on in the background and just enjoy yourself. Uh, Palmer gave this a 1.75 milk steaks. Okay. Um, so I just pressed the wrong button. You gave this a 2.5. Yep. What the fuck? I can calculate. 2.5 milk steaks for you. Two milk steaks for me. And a 1.75 milk steaks for Palmer. A 2.08333333. I feel like that is a very acceptable score. What do Google users think of this? Oh, I don't even think the score, the rating for this movie is on. I don't think Google users have seen this movie. You know what? You are absolutely right. There, This is the first movie we've ever done with no Google user rating. Also, there's not any reviews for it on... Pretty much anywhere. Rotten Tomatoes doesn't have a review for IMDb it. gave it or has a 4.2 out of 10, yes. which is just exactly in line with what we gave this. Yeah, I feel like that's very fair. But and if you read some of the reviews, they say the same things that I feel like I also like about it. Yeah. Is that it's so bad, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, that, so, uh, that's, that's about it. That, that's it for this. That's we, it for this. Welcome back, Alex. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for watching this with me. Yeah. <laughs> A uh, little bit of housekeeping. We are uh, we're sorry about last week, but we will be back next week with another cannibal episode. I believe we're doing cannibal holocaust. I I believe that's what we're doing. Uh, Thanksgiving week. I don't know what the plan is for that. We're either skipping a week, not doing an episode, or uh, I've got a wild idea up 
uh, in my back pocket for something a little bit different uh, mm-hmm. that Alex and I will talk about on the side. Uh, Palmer will be back probably uh, early to mid-December because he is out as a new dad trying to figure out how he's going to get his wife to eat their child. <laughs> Um, Maybe he'll just give her some milk steaks instead. Yeah, milk steaks, veal, and mashed potatoes. And uh, just just get her in that mood for that soft, fleshy, delicious, defenseless meat. Yeah. Uh, Alex, where can people find you? Um, I am on Instagram as Amboy. And then, of course, you can find me on Twitter at A Looters. And if you hunt deep enough... You can find my baby's Instagram. You can find her baby's Instagram. <laughs> I'm not going to give that out here. She can give it out if she wants to. No. <laughs> or you can just dig and dig and dig. I am on the Twitters at Sam Hebes, um, and I'm apparently on Instagram, but I don't think I've posted anything yet. Um, you can catch us at cast at terrorinpodnito.com if you want to send us some ideas for what we might do for a different uh, December theme this year, because we still have not figured that out. Uh, you can let us know what your favorite recipe is that includes soggy watery mashed potatoes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um that that's it i don't think i missed anything no I all right that that's it love you guys we're glad to be back alex is glad to be back glad to be i'm back. glad she's back i'm glad to be back i'm not drinking by myself never palmer's drinking by himself yeah right <laughs> <laughs> love you guys and as always keep it creepy catch you next time